Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Group, and we are specialist HR recruiters. Now, today I'm really excited to welcome Leslie Cooper to the show. For those not familiar, she is a management consultant with over 25 years experience in the design and the delivery of all elements of employee well-being management programs. Now, we talk about well-being all the time in the world of HR. Leslie is an absolute professional in this space. In fact, since 1997, she founded her business, Working Well, which is an award-winning specialist consulting firm that helps companies to manage workplace pressures in a way that really facilitates growth and development. It was shortlisted for Best Wellbeing Service Provider at the Great British Workplace Wellbeing Awards in 2021. And Leslie has also co-authored not one, but two brilliant books, all about employing, uh, improving, shall I say, employee well-being. The first is called Dangerous Waters, Strategies for Improving Well-Being at Work. And the second is Managing Workplace Stress, a Best Practice Blueprint. Now, we all know global competitive pressures are resulting in employees and leaders being put under more pressure than we have ever really seen before. It's, it's resulting in loads of different conflicting demands. It's so much to manage at the moment. We've got burnout, we've got perks, we've got flexibility at work, we've got safety and so much more to really unpick. So I welcome Leslie to the show today to really get into the detail here. What do we need to do to help our employees really perform at their optimum at work? What are the things we're not considering? What are sometimes the invisible pressures Success is so visible in today's world of work, but actually behind that success, many, many things are failing and we need to understand what those things are if we want our employees to really perform optimally. So I have an expert here. I'm going to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Leslie Cooper, to the HR L&D podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great, Nick. Thank you very much for the invitation. Wow, what an introduction. Goodness, no pressure here. <laughs> no pressure. And I want to make you feel absolutely safe in this environment. That's what it's all about, right? We're going to get into psychological safety in some detail later on. Before we do, question I ask all my guests, which is this, what do the words human resources mean to you? Oh, well, um, we have a great phrase, or we think it's great. We use it a lot. That when someone, when we employ someone, the whole person comes to work, not just the bit that does the job. So that's your human resources. You know, those are the people. Yes. That you Absolutely. should be talking to, not the task. <laughs> no, well, I'm glad you put that right front and centre of the conversation. It's going to be the conversation piece for today, right? Really focusing on the people that matter. And I mentioned very briefly in the introduction, I personal belief here, success is really visible, right? We see the performances of businesses, we see the bottom line numbers get published, but it's the impact behind that success that's often invisible. So what I'd like to know from your perspective and your experience, what impact are you seeing this this huge amount of pressure we're seeing put on people at the minute having on well-being that perhaps we're not always seeing behind the scenes yeah I mean we we live in a world now don't we where there are just too many claims on our attention so um you know and we all and by the way we recruit for highly engaged people so what happens when you put highly engaged people in that environment is that they engage endlessly um and and I think what we're seeing is um a a conflict really it's always been there but I think people have been able to navigate it better between people's individual purpose if you like you know what makes them them you know whatever it is on their radar that gets them out of bed in the morning other than their job which is obviously very, very important how you square the whole person with the bit that does the job because the bit that does the job is pulled into an environment where they are um actively encouraged and 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 also they they want to contribute to the to the max to their company mission and those two things are coming in conflict 
obviously. And and what happens is to try and resolve that conflict, people just work longer hours, yeah. which is the equivalent of, which is great, that's okay, you can do that now and again. In fact, when we feel, you know, energised like that, we want to do that. But it becomes a sustainability problem. And that, I think, is what's playing out now. We've got, you know, workforces that have just the right number of people in them, perhaps a little fewer than they really need. And, the you know, the the, the natural tendency of engaged staff to to make it work um means that they are they are generally giving up the things that actually make them them and make them sustainable um and of course the you know squeeze a balloon it'll come out somewhere the mental health statistics tell us that people are burning out um much more regularly than than they did so uh, to me it's about divided loyalties i think I think that's really interesting. So you raised a couple of points there. I'm going to try and reflect and see if I can bring it all out so we can open up a conversation. Somewhere I wasn't necessarily going to take it, right? But I, I think you've, you've raised some interesting points. So I've done, and I'm guilty of this, a number of webinars all about, or, or podcasts, about well-being perks, about things that we're doing that keep that do keep people engaged. We want to create, people want to create businesses where people want to be at work. Behind the scenes, we've also got a a newfound fear post-COVID of people trying to prove they can be trusted working from home. People trying to, you know, fearful of not losing their jobs and going into a bit of a recession now saying, you know, I'm working really hard. I'm an absolute performer. You can trust me with this. And the employer's going, we do trust you. Have these extra perks. Have more. Work flexible hours. It's all fine. It's all fine. So everyone's saying it's fine on the outside and we're working harder and we're giving our employees more. It's all good, good, good. But actually, you've mentioned there a really interesting point. It might make people happier that they're working for more perks, but they're working longer hours. They're working really, really hard. And no matter how much you spend on a Ferrari or a car, a Lamborghini, doesn't matter. Eventually, if it keeps driving, something's going to break and it's going to need fixing. So how do we manage that? What, what's the impact you're seeing then behind the scenes, that invisible piece, that what we mentioned, safety? The, what, what can businesses do to make sure they're engaging their staff on one hand and they're doing the right things by delivering what they're asking for? but not overworking them at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And the answer to it is is prioritising and understanding the role that recovery plays in sustainability. You know, it's such a simple thing to say, and everyone, mm, they all nod, but then the behaviour doesn't match it. You know, it's re- recovery is, is seen as rest. It's something you do when you're, when you're able, when you're caught up. Um, and trying to get organizations to understand and we spend a lot of time doing this these days that you know recovery is an is an intentional investment in the next performance wave it's not something you do when you're exhausted if you want to sustain your personal performance and of course that means organizationally sustain your organizational performance you need to recognize that that humans are not built like computers they're not designed to be always on it's sprint recover sprint recover you know in our ancestry we would have huge periods of physical activity while you were chasing lunch and then you'd wrestle it to the ground and then you'd eat it and then you'd you'd lie down in your cave for a while what happens now is you take another phone call you make another call you get on another zoom so that kind of low level adrenalization which is great on one level for a while because it makes you feel 100% alive and you know some of us have a little bit of urgency addiction so we like that you know it makes us it makes us feel vital but over time physiologically we haven't changed very much you're not designed 
to 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 function like that so cognitively you obviously lose your edge emotionally you become um living in that constant threat state because that's what your brain thinks is happening whoa what's happening here got to keep going got to go something's chasing me yeah. you know in the end you you live in a permanent state of threat which is not great then for creativity and all those sorts of things because your your primary brain the survival brain is the one that will always thank god that's why we're here will always take over from the kind of prefrontal cortex stuff which is where all the clever analysis stuff happens and so our creative brain will always be subdued by threat so that's not what ha- doesn't happen straight away but you live in that environment for for a longish a longish period of time then you you get into that kind of permanent state of arousal which then makes other things more more difficult um so you know i i think it's 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 a mindset thing to start with it's understanding and once people change their minds about it oh i get it so what we say is 10 in 90 you know for every 90 minutes you should be spending 10 minutes doing something different it's not lying on the ground with a wet towel on your head (laughs) this is going to do something different if you've been involved in a very cerebral task go and do something that's more diffuse focus if you've been sat on your chair as we all are get up go downstairs walk around get some get the blood moving in your body come back carry on with that task or do a new task come back to that task in another 90 minutes chunking your time up is actually much more consistent with the way our brains like like to work it's interesting just just listening to this as a podcast host right when you started describing how hard we work i felt exhausted <laughs> and just talking about taking a 10 minute break genuinely relax that feeling in my mind and that was actually working for me i'm hoping it's doing the same impact for those listening right we, we very rarely do it i've got a couple of things that have come to mind here the first is how much are we guilty as businesses of, of continuing what is a self-perpetuating cycle because there's a bit of a um, you talk about mindset here if my compatriot though is always there's a little bit of us that sometimes we want to take a break but we're scared to because we know that we feel like everyone else is working 100 miles an hour so if we don't i'll get found out or i'll get caught yeah. behind and everyone else is actually thinking the same thing but the reality is everyone in that group probably needs a bit of a rest or those recovery periods so that's kind of the first point i'd love to explore in just a moment i'm gonna i'm gonna angle that with a different podcast bad thing here i'm gonna ask two questions in one <laughs> the second bit is I, and i'm a I, I deliver executive coaching to, to to senior leaders and i have a coach myself and the one thing he helped me with is something that i couldn't see for myself which is all about recovery and i'm going to say what he said because i think hopefully this will resonate it did for me and there's a there's a podcast by jake humphreys called the high performance podcast and they talk about this a lot the uh, grand prix is won and lost in the pit stop it's the one time that a, a Grand Prix car with all of its ex, you know, amazing performance credentials takes a break. It's very short. We're talking minutes, seconds, but without those pit stops, the race, the, the cars don't finish the race. The tires yeah. go, it breaks down. And it, my, my coach said this to me and it suddenly went, whoa, you know what? That's it. I have never taken a break in what I do. It's one thing to the next to the next. And if that's me, that's the truth for everybody else, which links to that self-perpetuating cycle. What can we do and what are working well doing as a business, because this is an actual expert here, to help break the cycle of, of en masse overworking? Hmm. Well, your two questions actually um, are related because and it's back to the mindset thing that if people um, because we're a very social species, we do take our clues from from other people. So and we'll, we'll end up talking about the leadership role in that, obviously, because people 
watch their leaders all the time they're not aware they are but they are taking their cues and we take our cues from each other so it takes a brave person to 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 step out of line in that sense because we also have this urgent need to belong so we need to conform and do what everybody else is doing um so there is a there is a bravery piece and the bravery piece comes from from obviously having the strength of character to to know and to be aware enough to know that actually i'm i'm not as good as i was an hour and a half ago but sometimes we're too busy to even notice your body will send you signals the whole time actually but we ignore them and and it's great you know in meetings when we used to watch each other and actually physically be present you could see people's you know major muscles their legs would be moving under the table because it's their their body saying can we stand up now <laughs> I'm, I'm done sitting here so you know those, those sorts of things those cues we've lost and we, we're not so good at even listening to our own bodies really these days because we're, we're so focused on what we're doing so it, it the answer comes back to what we were saying about changing the narrative because if you understand that recovery isn't rest it isn't it's not passive it's uh it's renewal it is an active intentional behavior that is that is going to make the next performance wave better then it becomes easier to get a narrative going in a team particularly if the manager buys into it and understands it themselves and can actually then actively encourage mainly by doing it themselves but also by recognizing that you know scheduling meetings such that you don't nobody schedules a back-to-back meeting you know don't do that if you when people are on calls at sort of 9 59 they go gotta go i got another one at 10 it's like why did you agree to that i will join that meeting at 10 15 or 10 10 i need to walk around otherwise there's no point me being on your call because i'm useless to you i'm not functioning as i as i should so it is it is partly about recognizing that we all do take our cues from each other and if we want things to be different we have to be brave enough to be the change you know you might be the person that has to say i don't think we should schedule this call at 10 can we schedule it 10 10 there's no reason why not it's just habit um but it starts understanding why you're doing it and the person at the other end is probably thankful for it because they're probably going from nine to ten as well they go oh no that's absolutely fine yeah Yeah, that's great (laughs) Yeah, we, we, our own internal meetings, we try and finish them. If not, because it's easier to change yourself, obviously, than other people. Um, so we'll try and finish our own meetings at 10 to the hour. So if you have got another one, you know, we at least are not responsible for shooting our own feet in the feet. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Um, well, so we can I, arrive on calls in, in good shape. I hope that's resonating. I'm hoping there's like, you know, thousands of light bulbs going off here because the reality is, most of the people that listen to this show, if you're tuning in right now, they're going to be at an HR leadership level, HR director, HR manager, head of HR. And they are people that can start that sea change. They are people in a position that can change that role and say, right, everybody, this is how we do our meetings. Everyone, I want you to take a break every 90 minutes. So let's hope that happens. I know from what I'm hearing and what's landing for me is it's it makes sense. And I know how I feel when I go from meeting to meetings. And I've never even considered break it up by just 10 minutes but I, I i'm imagining most people i would suggest that too would actually be thankful of the same 10 minutes back yeah so it's a simple change let's link it back to performance though it's very easy i guess to say let's add the recoveries we want to know what that impact has on a business so how and why does employee well-being influence employee performance yeah okay so as you said at the beginning when you employ someone the whole person comes not just the bit that does the job but the bit that does the job is also massively influenced by the quality of relationships that are going on, um, obviously how much control or influence they feel they have, how supported they feel, but, but mainly how safe they feel in the workplace. Because 
um again back to this threat response you know if you when you you know we all want to contribute and we want to contribute at the best standard we can we want to be the best versions of ourselves we can be but our physiology will see to it that we have this radar unfortunately for things that are um threatening you know and that's we, we can't turn that off and and in fact we shouldn't because that's obviously why we're here so psychological safety as it's become known not a new concept it's been around for a long time but i think it's really starting people starting thank the to understand that you know, if people don't feel safe in the workplace, if they have a sort of low grade fear of negative consequences, and we see this in some of our people actually, you know, support people on a one to one basis in, in therapeutic situations. And, and, you know, what you hear all the time is sentences never get finished. You know, I have to do it because if I don't, you know, oh, I know, see, I, I know I really should go and watch my son play football. I really want to see him play football, but I must get this report out because if I don't, it never gets finished. But we all know the consequences will be bad. So let's not even bother finishing the sentence. Let's just do the work instead. And that's how the, you know, that's how we end up snipping our own little roots off, if you like, in terms of our our root network under the ground that keeps us stable. So, you know, if we don't, if we feel there are negative consequences for doing what I really want to do or being even the person that I, I really am, we wear a mask, we end up not being fully authentically ourselves. And that's, that's not great, obviously, because that's, you know, that's not great for well-being. But from a, a performance point of view, what you want, particularly in a global competitive market, is everybody being as open and creative as they can be. And now nobody's going to take risks. You know what the wonderful Amy Edmondson, who's who's done most on this work at Harvard, talks about as interpersonal risks. You know that every day, every time we interact with anyone there's a there's a risk to us personally that we're going to be misunderstood that you're going to say something that someone's going to use against you that you're going to look foolish that you're going to make a mistake um all all sorts of things i mean we could talk for an hour about just those things you know so many things so what we do is we assess them and depending on on how safe you feel your culture is, you assess those risks differently. So we work for some really safe and some really unsafe organisations and the difference between their people's ability to experiment, uh, take a risk. And, and it, it massively affects collaboration, obviously. You know, mm. if you're working in a team of three people, you feel totally safe with each other. That you can say, or with your leader, say, Do you know what, I think that's a really bad idea <laughs> I think if I could be honest, that is a really bad idea. I don't think we should do that. Um, and, and deliver, you know, news that you don't think your boss or your colleague is potentially going to like. You, you fail so much faster, you know, and, and everyone can say, Oh, it, you know, you benefit from, you know, wisdom comes from multiple perspectives, obviously. So you, you know, you, you other people get to benefit from your ideas. If you don't feel safe to share them, that that learning is lost to everybody. So when you make a mistake in an unsafe environment, you hide it or you become defensive. And then nobody else gets to learn from that mistake. So three more people make the same one. It's once you get it, you can see the, the impact on performance. But getting people to the point where they feel comfortable enough to, again, Amy says, you know, candor is expected not tolerated it's expected we expect you to tell the truth there will be no consequences if you tell the truth getting people to really believe that takes a while but it is very doable and there are many companies who could just making a start would be good 
because you know people are sitting on their hands and if you think you want more performance to a higher standard with a greater level of well-being psychological safety is obviously the place to go because you get it all you get people's well-being is better because they're not living in a constant state of fear and you can share and um, work on your insights collaboratively there are there's no downside i've yet to find a downside except that it's a little bit difficult and you have to be a little bit brave as a leader because you have to start doing it yourself first yeah there's a fear often associated with openness, right? But that, that all links back to psychological safety anyway, as you say. I was interesting at the start of this, this show, I mentioned to you that there's this you know, perpetual cycle where there's a, there's a fear of lack of trust if we don't do. But that all links to the psychological safety as well. If people feel like they're trusted, they won't go and, you know, they won't necessarily have to do that. They won't you know, neglect their children to do the, to do the presentation right. because they know they'll understand, right? right? It's okay. It'll link me back to a, a podcast I did a, a, some time ago with Stephen Covey. I won't go into what the podcast content, but I'll just, his book is called Trust and Inspire. Okay. I think when you, when you build that trust, people do feel in, inspired. And you, it's very hard to get to that level of trust if you haven't got a framework, a psychological safety framework around it that says, I am trusted. I am going to the football with my kids this weekend. I'm not going to work. I'm happy to yeah. say that because I'm yeah. not working right now, right? I'll be on a Monday. And I know it's, I know it's more complex than that. But actually, that trust piece is so element. But when people do feel trusted, that's when they can do their best work. That's when they can really, really perform, as we know. I guess this leads me to the question of, is then managing well-being, managing psychological safety, which is absolutely involved in, in, in this element, is that the job of the HR professional that's listening to this show? Um, well, everyone is a stakeholder. I think this is one of those phrases that we use a lot, don't we? But it, it, HR definitely have a very important role. But no, it is not 100% their responsibility. And and it, it's hard to say, it's, it's, it's almost like a virtuous circle. Everybody, affinity diagram probably, everyone has, everyone has an impact on everybody else and therefore everyone has an obligation to contribute to psychological safety. So HR can certainly help managers understand the importance of it and prioritise it. Um, as something to be invested in. I mean, on a personal level, when we start working with companies, it is often the HR people who yeah. have, who understand it because they've got the, you know, the helicopter vision, if you like, to, to see. Sometimes you're too busy doing, aren't you, to actually work out why these things are important. Our HR professionals will have a natural um, insight and enthusiasm for these types of of concepts so they're great people to actually kick the process off but in the end like so many things what makes the difference is what happens on the ground on on the day to day so you know you can create the the mandate managing upwards to get the money perhaps if you know this is something that's important for us it's a priority for us and we should understand it and make sure that we feed it into our leadership development so that people understand you know is that a lot of, you know, traditional, what you might refer to as traditional leadership development ideas, of course, all play directly to psychological safety. That's why you have a coaching mindset. That's why you have to be careful how you give feedback, because you, this is what you're trying to do, not make the person feel that they don't belong and alienated yeah. and, and, and really rather rubbish. So, you know, they, they, it, it's not new. But I do think that there's... um. HR can have a, a real benefit in driving the agenda, both up and down. But in the end, the stuff that makes the difference is what we do we, with each other. 
you know what we ask people to do and the way in which we ask them to do it and and how we how we support them so that that means there's the individual has responsibility obviously to trust so that they can be trusted somebody's got to break the deadlock leaders obviously have a massive obligation in terms of modeling that behavior themselves and and also you know showing vulnerability has become a bit of a thing everyone says yeah. that but it plays directly into people feeling safe because we all grow up in a hierarchy, you know, teachers and students, bosses, employees, you know, we, we, we do live in a hierarchical society. So we're all a bit like, well, he must know what he's talking about because he or she is the boss, you know. So it's quite hard to to break that. So what you kind of need is is people who are in positions of, you know, authority or or superior hierarchy to actually admit that they screwed up now and again and this is how it made me feel and but I'm sharing it with you so we can all learn it because it gives people permission then to do the same so employees have got their own responsibilities to be the change leaders have got to be brave enough to you know to to admit to their themselves sometimes they don't have all the answers and that and to admit to their people that they don't have all the answers and then, of course, there's senior leadership who have to really take on board that the some of these um, the, the 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 narrative needs to be modelled all the way. So you can't say, "Well, middle managers screw up, but we don't." <laughs> yeah, no, Everybody has to has to sing from the same sheet. But uh, and there's some, you know, I'm sure you you know, um, Pixar animation studios are often held up as you know Ed, Ed Catmull as being one of the best examples of how you can lead this from the top, but feed it from the bottom. And uh, he created wonderful opportunities. He, he says of, of his own films, you know, when we first make a film, it's terrible, but what we do is we just the storyboards go in and in and in through multiple um, layers of employee feedback from all over the organization to say i love that i thought that stinks you know and eventually because candor is expected no one fears it or takes it personally you end up with whatever it was you know 10 box office hits one yeah. after the other which is in is unheard of so you know it's every everyone is a stakeholder but hr can be you know we love hr because often they're the first people to get it <laughs> and yeah, say yeah something in this that we should be doing more with i think um something that lands for me when you talk about the role of hr you said something in in your answer that said um often they're managing so many things they don't always live the behaviors they're trying to pass out i think that's a problem we spoke off air briefly that sometimes the things we teach the things we most most need to, to listen to ourselves as well right we become experts we don't listen to our own advice um and there are multiple priorities that hr professionals are managing whether it's you know the trends from diversity campaigns to flexibility at work now to psychological safety and well-being and employees and organizational frameworks and blah blah blah, it goes on and on that sometimes they can feel overwhelmed yeah and actually the argument is then if you're feeling overwhelmed the one thing you probably need is a little bit of space and rest and recovery but it's so hard but the answer is in everything you've given today which is having that openness that candor to be able to pass that pass that up the chain as well and say to your board of directors I need some space. I need to do it. And so as you say, it feeds both bottom up and top down. Hopefully you meet in the middle and it's everyone has that framework of trust, that framework of safety to perform optimally. I think there'll be some, um, a lot of people thankful that you've said it's not all on HR shoulders here and it isn't. So what I'd like then to ask is if it's not on their shoulders, what's the role of the employee then? Employee themselves in managing their own well-being and, yeah. and 
because they'll they'll throw it back. They'll say, but the company should be doing that for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I'm, I'm, it, it is, the, the, the fact is that we're all habit driven. Um, and you said it yourself just there is that, you know, when the pressure's on, when time is tight, we are more inclined to do what we always do because it's effortless. So we're wired that way. You know, our brain goes, oh, I know what this is. You know, yeah. X happens. You've decided that Y is going to be the outcome and therefore Z response is, is the one. And, and, you know, when it comes to managing your own well-being, this, at the most fundamental level, it's understanding that that is a thing, you know, that life events occur. You have navigated your way to this point in your life doing whatever it is you do. And it's brought you to this place. And of course, the more senior you are, the more inclined you are to think, therefore, it's all wonderful because it's, it hasn't failed me yet or hasn't done me any harm. You know, so that yeah. it's something that we kind of tell ourselves that therefore I can just carry on doing the same thing and I will get, you know, a, a better outcome so or the same outcome so understanding that we are habit driven and that we have very little control over what's happening to our external environment at all in fact even the people that are controlling the company have very little influence on that it's just we're all we're all in the system but we we do have total control over how we respond it's just that we don't often exercise it because we're so busy we have default mode and default yeah. mode is is a requirement because if you anyway even before it got as the mat the world got as mad as it is now if you thought about everything you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get out the house there's just too many choices so you know that that habit of stimulus response thing is is really important so when it comes to managing your own well-being only you can control that your HR team can't do that your boss can't do that he he or she is responsible for the pond you're swimming in but how you choose to respond to what's coming at you is your own choice. Now, people run quite a lot of workshops. Some people don't like to hear this. They like to say, no, 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 it's not that at all. It's my boss. He's making me do this. But the reality is that we do have a choice. It's just that all those other things that are going on mean that we find it difficult to exercise them. And in fact, we tell ourselves we can't. So that is totally a personal employee responsibility there's nothing that your hr team can do except to create the environment where you've just said it yourself it's okay to watch your son yeah. play football <laughs> you know so that's the bit that the hr and the leadership team can can function on but whether you choose to go and see your son play football that is down to you so mm-hmm. so that that's you know that's a critical part of any employee well-being program is helping people to understand that it's not about weakness it's just about being human. This is what we do. And the more engaged, as we said at the beginning, the more engaged you are, the more inclined you might be to just keep on over delivering. And that that's something you need to take responsibility for because you own your sustainability. Yeah. If you want, if you, you know, working lives are long now, you know, they always were, but they're even longer now. So you, you need to manage your, your energy. So, so a lot of work we, uh, what, what we know people find easy to um, engage with and resonates with them is this this whole concept of managing personal energy understanding that what makes nick nick (laughs) is in several dimensions you know there's a physical aspect to you there's an emotional there's a mental and there's a spiritual purposeful one you know what what's important to you and what path are you on and helping people to understand how they how these energy dimensions get depleted during the day but then how they can renew them in an active way gives people control and that's the thing that most of us if we're honest feel we don't when you feel overwhelmed 
Yeah. You just can't really have any control over anything. But actually, we do have more control than we think. And we can certainly control our, how we um, use and recover personal energy. And that's been, you know, that's been very rewarding work because you see light bulbs going off. Mm. Oh, OK, that's oh, I can do that. You know, that's I don't have to change my voice. They just change me. <laughs> I'm, you know? I'm, a, I'm a total convert <laughs> to the energy idea. I mean, um, I don't believe that people don't have time for things. They don't have energy for things. And that's and I think we often get from in my perspective, and people may feel different. I think that's where often things get confused. We say we haven't got time. It's actually it's our energy is so low at that moment. So much going on. We haven't got the energy to, to commit. And whether that's work related or, or exercise related or whatever, it's that energy level. If we can know what things top that energy up, then we're much more likely to redo them. It was interesting right at the start of your response um, to the question. You said HR professionals want to deliver a, a, and create a coaching culture but then it becomes directive because they haven't got the time or they feel like they haven't got the time. But that's where it's really important that we create the energy and the space for them to deliver what they see in their vision. Because one of the most exciting things, and I'm not an HR director, right? I do an HR podcast and I work, I work in the world of HR and I speak to HR leaders every day in the world of recruitment, but they have a, a unique position to be the cultural architects in their business. But if they're not embodying the behaviors we've discussed because they're too busy, then actually it's really hard to make the change stick. To make yeah. it's all well and good saying, I'm okay with you taking your son, but then if they every day that that person they're reporting into sees their own HR director never taking time for their own, very difficult because then you that's where the judgment, the fear of judgment comes in. You talked about yeah. earlier that fear that we start to embody. But I think for yeah. me, everything you've said there absolutely hits for me, it hits the nail, it, it resonates completely. Okay. Um, so with that in mind, hoping it's resonating for others that are listening, how does that HR leader, how does that manager, how do what do they do with their own behaviors to help influence? well-being outcomes what responsibility should they have what can we start to do to help model the behaviors we want to see to create a psychologically safe environment where people can really perform yeah i mean it's not a very complicated answer it's just do it themselves unfortunately as you just said it's like but that's hard because we are all operating in the environment that is just kind of making it much easier to keep keep doing the same thing so you know hr professionals need to do exactly what we've just described they need to model the behaviors themselves if they can and and in fact when you're trying to embed the culture you might have to make very specific and public opportunities to do that so that so that it's understood because it's otherwise it's just words you know we see this all the time sort of you know huge proliferation of uh, well-being services you know my my own daughter works in a in a, in a very pressurized environment and you know they've got everything but they but but nobody would dare to go and use the gym at lunchtime because and it's such a cliche but it, you can't believe it's still happening but it yeah, is yeah. you know I, I I might no one else is doing it and so it's it's hard to feel brave enough to be the person that that does that so you kind of need the leaders in that in that department to be absent at perhaps 2 30 in the afternoon where's fred he's in the gym oh right you know yeah. it doesn't take you don't have to do it very many times before you've given permission for other people to do that so um you know i was surprised even you know five years on word for word so well, why can't you go at lunch oh i couldn't possibly go at lunchtime you're just trying to you know find how to schedule formal physical activity into her day and so we've got these fantastic gym facilities actually in your building can't you go there you know don't go at lunch can you not go at two o'clock 
or two thirty, or you know, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> this no, is somebody who's grown up in an environment where you talk about this stuff every yeah. day. So that's how powerful it is. But if if her boss was to go, then I think it would be oh okay. So it's it's not a very complicated answer, but I I do think it's the I think it is the answer. We've got got HR directors listening to this going, yeah, I'm bought in. I need to start going to the gym, but I haven't got the energy. I haven't got the time to do it. I'm still struggling. I'm still in this this fog of I want to do everything that you've said, Leslie. It's resonating with me, but I'm, you know, I've got so many different qualities to manage right now. Now, I would argue, and this is coming from me as a recruiter, we use recruitment agencies when we need to recruit. Even though we've got all the facilities and tools internally to do it for others, when we need to recruit, I know that we are at our bandwidth and that's not our expertise and we need to find consultants. I'll go to an expert for that. I'm a big believer that best coaches have their own coaches because you can't coach yourself, right? And whether that's in sport or life or, or, or yeah. business. So in this art, let's, let's talk a little bit about working well, because if you are an HR director who maybe you have all the answers, but you can't find the time, you can't find the energy to do it. I would argue that solution then would be to, to outsource or ask for some support in enabling you to get to where you need to get to, because we all know, and the statistics are there for people to find themselves, if we know that people are happy, they're psychologically safe and well-being is high, performance absolutely follows. You know, you're going to get the best out of the people that work for you. So maybe working well or another other suppliers out there as well would be a business that works with them. But what tell us a little bit about what working well could do for an HR director that you know is absolutely bought into this concept, but doesn't feel like they've got the bandwidth or the energy to deliver. All right. OK, well, I mean, on the individual level, obviously, executive coaching in a personal energy space is really valuable and we, we we do do a fair amount of that so there's there's something about the leader themselves and then there's supporting the leader in changing the culture in their yeah. organization which is obviously going to involve um the involvement of their team because they can't because they don't have any control over their team like we said their team make their own choices so you sure. can create you you can take responsibility for the pond but ultimately the fish in the pond have to make their own directions in terms of how they're swimming so you know, there, there, there's a kind of there's two parts to it. As far as the individual is concerned, it's it's, it's back to what we said. It's helping people, and we and we do have a lot of success with this. And like I say, the light bulbs go off for people. Is that you can break yourself down into separate dimensions, so you can get a level of granularity around how to increase your level of personal energy and and that again is the light bulb because and I can remember going through this myself you know like 15 years ago when when it was just you know business and three kids and the whole thing it's like if it were that simple you would already be doing it there is no one big thing um because if if there were a big thing you'd be doing it and it's not as simple as well you just need to leave work earlier and you need you know because that's not that's not going to work for people but but what definitely has helped people is to is to see that you have dimensions. So you you know there are one if you did one or two small things only, but did them in the right places, then you can um, make a lot of progress. And and one of the things that we find quite valuable is is or organisations find valuable is to is kind of do energy audits, very light touch, fun to do. Um, you know, you can you can tend to position this however with whatever else you whatever programs you've got going on. It doesn't have to be like the new new thing. But but trying to get a metric um around, you know, where are people's energy levels now in, in these different dimensions? So physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, where where are they? And in, and in each of those dimensions, if their physical energy is low, is that because they're, you know, 
not thinking about the nutritional quality of what they eat? Is it because they're not doing any exercise? Is it because they're not sleeping? Is it, you know, getting to that level of specificity, but doing it in a fun way, you know, 10 minutes max and delivering back to people a personal profile that says you, Nick, are sleeping really well, but you know what yeah. you're, you know, you're eating Mars bars and snacking and, and that's not great for your sustainability during the, during the day. Cause obviously disruption to your blood sugar level, great sugar high and then because you haven't got time to eat properly and you rushed out the house in the morning so you didn't eat anything before you left and you grabbed a muffin at the station or you just slid straight into your pajamas straight in front of your camera and put your top on um but thought i'll have breakfast later and before you know it's 11 o'clock and your body's screaming for sugar so you you know you tend to eat the wrong thing for half an hour you feel great half an hour after that you feel terrible if that happens to be the time when you get an email from your boss saying where is that report or whatever it is that has been low grade bothering you oh you know so our physical state affects our emotional state our emotional state then goes on obviously to affect our cognitive mental state because it's very difficult to focus on something positively when you're angry (laughs) you've got hangry because perhaps you were you know so there's 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 a lot of um there's a lot of information you can give people about very specific things that they can do for themselves that will help them have more energy um, in physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever. But also there's the recovery message comes in there because it's not if you do 10 in 90 all day long, you arrive at the end of the day pretty much like you'd started, which means you can go home. And the, OK, you might not get home any earlier, but you you will be in a better shape when you get home. So you're more likely to have a fulfilling evening instead of those evenings that sometimes don't go the way you want them to go because you go through the front door and you're exhausted. So, yeah. um, you know, there are very specific things. And and at the leadership level, the senior leadership, level, those uh, that sort of coaching conversation based around their own metric is very, very valuable because they'll tend to say this doesn't apply to me, any of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can say, okay, but apparently it does. Um, and and then they can set very small and very specific objectives and see a change quite quickly, which then, of course, you know, will tend to um, make more conversations more likely and even more productive. If you do that at a team or even an organisational level, getting that type of metric together, you then, of course, get a map for where what's energy like in your team collectively. Individuals get their personal feedback. But it's really valuable. We know it's really valuable for teams and managers to have a sense of what's the what's the energy profile, the team energy profile for my team. Yeah. And there's a series of interventions then that you can, you know, just having a conversation about that. Actually, it's one of the lovely things about this type of work is that sometimes the investigation becomes part of the intervention because just getting people in a room and talking about this, we've all contributed to it, makes it safe. You're, you're creating a safe type of conversation to say, well, actually, yeah, I'm really struggling to get, you know, I am struggling with this. And then you find loads of other people are struggling with it as well on your team. And suddenly we're back to feeling like we belong again. So there's a lot. This ties into the coaching culture do. mindset as well, doesn't it? Of asking yes. questions to find the answers. The investigation piece that you mentioned. Yeah. And um, it's all well and good getting home for your kids. But if you're not present. And I yeah. know anyone, everyone who's got children or whatever your, your commitment to your partner, your dog, your cat, there's a very different to being there and being present. And they're very they're different things and quality time over quantity of time. And there's, uh, we can have a whole podcast on that as well. But being yes. present when you get home <laughs> is so important. How you feel different when you're really in the room and you know that you're in the room. 
Yeah. Um, and the energy audit, I think, is a fantastic idea. And hopefully there's lots of people thinking, well, actually, maybe that, that's, a, that's an activity that's worth worth us undertaking because the commercial um, ramifications of doing so, the commercial impact is great. And I think that's because you've, you've done a book, haven't you? you wrote a book called Dangerous Waters, and that's focused on helping leaders to understand the real commercial benefits of employ- of uh, improving employee well-being. But within that, and we've talked about a lot of those commercial benefits already and, and what we can get out. And if there's more, please, please um, bring them to the fore. But I'm also interested to know, what are some of the threats that exist within those dangerous waters that perhaps people haven't considered yet? Well, um, yeah, I mean, the, the assumption is always that employees have spare capacity. You know, we're, we're still, if, if we're honest, we've got another book coming out next year um, that, that talks about this, you know, this conflict between personal mission and, and corporate mission. And because people are so, so, we have such a complicated relationship with work now, and it is so much a part of of, of people's psyche that it is um, because they just keep finding the extra space. Not even not always the energy, actually, but just they find ways of of making it happen. I think em- employers have increasingly come to kind of think that that's limitless. You know, that trading on the goodwill of the staff, if you like, is is something is a strategy that we can we can use forever. And as we said at the beginning, the there's lots of evidence to suggest that that's that's no longer the case. You know, that their companies are now very lean, very efficient. Um, technology has made it much easier for people to work longer and longer hours you don't have to be physically present anymore and yeah. so if, if you combine the ease with which we can i'll just do this email i'll just finish this report i'll you know i'll be right with you I, you know whereas you, there used to be a physical separation between home and work i think it's becoming much harder for people to to manage those boundaries um that are so important for for emotional and physical health and so that you know the dangerous waters that book was called dangerous waters all those years ago because there is an iceberg <laughs> you know what you see in terms of sickness absence and um you know ill health is is you know uh, is unattractive and and you know unfortunate but it's only actually a small part of it it's the bit that you can actually see that the the well-being damage if you like um, is the bit that sticks up above the waterline. The bigger piece is under the waterline in terms of people's progressive disengagement, yeah. their inability to be as creative as they once were, um, be, be, because, you know, as you become overwhelmed, as we've said already, you, you tend to feel less confident and, and more, more fearful that you're going to make a mistake or that you've had made a mistake. And, and so people just get collaborations get less productive and um mistakes and things go up so but but mainly i think it's the the big piece is is the impact it has on people's lack of ability to innovate and be creative and experiment which is is even more important now i mean that book that the original book's probably at least a decade old now but you know nothing has changed it's just got more so because we need to do more and more with less and less you touched um, on some of those stats in your your next book, didn't you? Which I think was managing workplace stress. And there's some statistics yeah. in there that said 10% of every workforce is likely to report low levels of satisfaction at their jobs. But interestingly, you talked about that link between personal and 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 professional. In that book, you said 20% are likely to report they've had some kind of major life event happen to them in the last three months. And if we're not having these conversations, if we're not aware yeah. that we don't know how to manage that, right? If we're only looking at the bottom line numbers. And not the the holistic person behind those numbers, 
then we're not we're not going to be prepared for the drop off or the changes or or we know how to manage those things effectively. Um, yeah. and I thought some of some of those statistics were quite stark. Yeah, and and I they're, they're no better. They're worse. <laughs> if anything, they're worse. Um, I, and I think that the I mean, you make you you raise a good point because it's great, and we're very you know supportive of organisations who want to provide what would be understood to be tertiary support to people. So so when people are feeling overwhelmed, when they're struggling, it's great that they've got somewhere to go in their organization to have a confidential conversation about how they're feeling and, and you know, perhaps with the help of a, a counselor or a therapist to actually, or a coach to, you know, follow those threads back upstream to, okay, what can we change? What have we got, you know, the ability to have some influence on, but they are confidential conversations. So the, the organization doesn't get to know what's yeah. going on for people. And, and in the book that we're writing, you know, we're, saying your employees have so much information you know running around in their head with them but because by and large we don't have enough opportunities to share that information in a psychologically safe way they you don't know about it but we do because we talk to them which is why we're writing the book (laughs) a a chapter actually ends i think which is why we know about it (laughs) because they they tell us about it but creating that opportunity inside your organization to have open conversations around you know how good's the work the assumption you know good work is good for you it's true it is but do you know how good the work is and if so, how? Because human beings are really, really good at behaving one way and feeling different, aren't we? Right. We so, have to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And if we don't look at ourselves in the same way, I think that we've. I'm, I'm very, very honoured to have almost two decades worth of working well experience on the show today, and hopefully, there's a lot of content that's resonating with people. If we pull it all together, um, you know, if you imagine me a, a bag now, we're pulling the drawstring, we're holding the five key things inside. What would be your five? critical workable solutions that people can really think about when it comes to managing stress at work? Yeah, I think um, understanding where your personal resources come from as an individual is is key. I mean, the organisation's got lots of responsibilities, but the employee is the only one that can control can control the response. So understanding your own relationship between well-being and personal performance is really important. What makes you you? And understanding how you might be able to um, manage energy because you can't manage time. You can only manage your energy. Yeah. And then how do you renew that in different dimensions? I think that would be number one for me. Um, number two, I think, would be that the manager needs to understand that they can completely confound that. <laughs> so the employee can right. Got it. But then if you don't behave in a certain way that supports that, it's extraordinarily difficult for anyone who works for you to actually adopt the right well-being behaviour. They've got a model of behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to do that. And I think, you know, in 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 three, I think did you ask a five? Certainly the third one would be that they're um it's creating spaces in an organization for people to be able to tell it how it is. And and that's not, you know, that's not a quick it is a quick win because you can start it tomorrow by just, you know, being the change you want to see yourself. But I think, you know, creating a culture where we we regularly discuss, you know, how are we feeling from an energy perspective? How does the work feel? You know, does, is this is this work producing, growing, stretching, stand on the desk, sing the company song type feelings? Or is it making me think I don't want to go there today? 
because as a leader, you need to know that and your employees are very happy to share it, but you do have to create the right opportunities for them for them to do that. Um, it's that everyone is, as we started at the beginning, everyone is a stakeholder. So we've all got very specific roles to play. So one last question and before we open the vault, just brings up to mind because you know we've talked a little bit about embodying behaviours and sometimes we haven't got the time and actually the things we teach are often things we're only teaching ourselves. Now we've got an expert on working well on the show. You've given us some great advice. Let me throw the question back at you. That's a bit of a challenge, Leslie. How do you manage your own stress? Because we're coming out of a pandemic where your world must have absolutely erupted in terms of, you know, we've seen so much work-life balance changes, things coming to the fore. It's at the top of company agendas. You're doing podcasts with me. You're writing mm-hmm. a new book. So how do you manage your own stress? How do you manage your own uh, well-being? Um I well showing some vulnerabilities first I would say we don't always get it right um which is good for us because it proves that it's one thing to say it and you have to remember that it's very hard for people to yeah I get that but actually execution can be can be complex I think if we did one thing and we were extraordinarily busy um is that we were never um never forgot that it is about maintaining boundaries um and that it's the pressure to let boundaries slip and and you know be in your office for 20 hours a day was intense but i think we were pretty good at um you know not doing that you know very specific lines of like that's it lid down on the laptop come back to it tomorrow it will still be there tomorrow and yeah. engaging with with families um i think you know what we didn't do so well um and it's only now that that's working through the system actually is that we were so task focused because we kind of get all this and we know that we all get it we didn't talk about it very much and talk about our own how were we feeling we're just busy talking about everybody else's well-being and so because we stopped traveling particularly myself and my, my key um um facilitator um senior consultant we used to sort of spend quite a lot of time traveling so you'd catch up with the what we would now call water cooler conversations, I suppose, you know, the, the inconsequential right. stuff, you know, standing around in airport lounges and stuff like that. And of course, that's the stuff that disappeared. So when you're like super, super, super busy, it's, it does become very task orientated, yeah. even though we know this, we should know this stuff better than anyone else. Um, and, you know, quite a, a few things kind of tumbled out 18 months later, sort of assumptions that people have made around, you know, why they weren't being involved in work or, you know, did someone else get their work? which only goes to show even amongst the most highly informed, you know, we're all human. We all have our little insecurities and, you know, they can grow. Um, And um, so, you know, we, we we did, we did most of it well, but not, not all of it. (laughs) Well, uh, you you mentioned that you, you guys deliver executive coaching. One of the reasons there are so many executive coaches out there is because the people at the top are often those that need the most support, right? And you don't always see it. They don't have all the answers. I think they come full circle. I'm conscious of our own boundaries of time. So I'm going to ask you very three short, sharp questions in the HR L&D vault. First question is this, uh, Leslie, if you could give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? Recover. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? Um, I would... Oh, that's a great question. Uh, cut yourself some slack, really. I think, again, um, young people come out of university um, or, you know, formal education expecting to be, you know, real world ready. And nothing can prepare you for the fact that for the first time in your life, there is no agenda. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you, you know, from, from 
five to 18, you always had exams to go for, you had lessons to give, and then suddenly it's like it's down to you. That's quite scary. So I think cut yourself some slack. I think that's great advice. And last but not least, what is the sort of one guiding principle or behaviour that you've seen in every great leader that you've worked with? Ability to um, take on other people's perspectives. Lovely. Fantastic. Well, of course, if anyone is interested in finding out more about Leslie Cooper's books, they are available in the show notes. Just remind you, they are Dangerous Waters, Strategies for Improving Wellbeing at Work and Managing Workplace Stress, a Best Practice Blueprint, both available on Amazon. Uh, Links will be in the show notes. I will also include a LinkedIn profile if you want to connect with Leslie to find out more. And of course, a link to her wonderful website, which is www.workingwell.co.uk. Just leaves me uh, one more chance to say a huge thank you to Leslie Cooper for joining me today. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've got loads from this. I hope everyone else has as well. Just a chance to reflect, recover trust and inspire and of course if you're an hr or lnd leader listening to this show and need support with a recruitment vacancy please do get in touch with either myself or any of my wonderful team at jga recruitment you can reach us at www.jgarecruitment.com so i to say one more huge thank you to leslie cooper from working well for joining me today on the hr lnd podcast thanks nick it's been a pleasure enjoy thank the rest you. of your day now Thanks, recover. Leslie, you too. <laughs> <laughs> there we go we're all good we'll just